morning, good afternoon, and good day, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Monday or whatever day of the week you are listening to this episode. Another week, another episode of Never Work a Day podcast with your host, Kelly Gibney. On today's episode, we have one of my favorite food bloggers who I've been following for quite some time. Her name is Cameron Rogers, but you might know her by Freckled Foodie, which is her Instagram handle. Not only is she a very popular food blogger who is so real and open about her mental health, the food she's loving, her workouts, really everything that goes on in her day-to-day life, she is also a podcast host of Freckled Foodie and Friends, where she has on her friends, her family, but also people in the wellness and lifestyle space. I can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode, but of course, before you do, stop what you're doing right now and go rate, review, and subscribe or follow on whatever streaming platform you listen to this podcast. I can't tell you how much it would mean to me for you to take those two seconds and just help a girl out, you know? Without further ado, please enjoy this week's episode with Cameron Rogers. Hey everyone, welcome back to Never Work a Day podcast with your host, Kelly Gibney. Today's episode, we have Cameron Rogers, otherwise known as Freckled Foodie. Cameron, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to be on the opposite side of a microphone during these things. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Cameron has her own podcast called Freckled Foodie and Friends, where she speaks to people in the wellness industry, I guess you could say. Yeah. And more. Mm-hmm. I know it's hard. People are like, oh, is it about food? I'm like, no, not really, actually, at all. Um, but yeah, I would say the mission is to make healthy living approachable, but really just talking to all these kick-ass, knowledgeable people that I either know or have met in this space um, about what they're passionate about and kind of breaking down barriers and talking about shit that people might not feel comfortable discussing. Yeah. So actually, speaking of your podcast, I saw that you interviewed um, Lisa Carvalis, mm-hmm. who who um, has the venue where you had your wedding. Yes. I actually grew up with her little sister. We used to dance together. No way. And she does the makeup. Yeah. Gina? Yeah, Gina. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Gina. Which is just so funny. It's just such a small world. Such uh, a small how world. How that all works out. But yeah. Do you want to kind of give a little brief introduction on who you are and what you do? Of course. Um, So as you mentioned, I'm Cameron Rogers. I'm the voice behind Freckled Foodie. It's like my alter ego of sorts. My mission is to make healthy living approachable. And I guess I consider myself a content creator. So I create open, honest, and approachable, hopefully, content through my Instagram, blog, YouTube, TikTok and podcast. Um, so really my goal is to not only reassure everyone that they're not alone in any emotion they're feeling, but to also really foster a loving and welcoming community that is filled with badass people looking to support each other. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you definitely do put out approachable content. So oh, thank you've you. nailed that down. Um, <laughs> so I kind of want to just start from the beginning on where you got here. Um, So you started out in finance at J.P. Morgan Chase. Yes. Um, Or is it just J.P. Morgan? Both, but I was technically within the J.P. Morgan sector. Okay. 
Um, not that that really matters. But, <laughs> um, and you were an econ major in college. Did you kind of always want to go into finance or was it kind of just you stumbled onto the econ major and that was kind of the next step that made sense? I didn't always want to go into finance um, in college. In high school and college, I was definitely just more of a numbers person than a reading or writing. I had like learning disabilities when it came to reading and numbers just made sense to me. And when I was in college, I think it was just like every, a lot of athletes are econ majors. I played lacrosse and specifically lacrosse players. And both my parents worked in finance-ish. My dad was in credit card for the credit card industry for, I guess, like 30-ish years. now he's in like a different sector of finance. And my mom was an investment banker for her career. And it just kind of was something that I always knew. I don't know. Like it was just what was normal because that's what my parents had done. And so if my parents had been artists of sorts, like maybe that was the industry that I was more engulfed in, if that makes sense. So yeah, when I was choosing sense. my major, it, I don't even remember really thinking about it. I was just like, yeah, of course I'll be an economics major. Um, and then I obviously took other courses because I went to Lafayette College, which is a liberal arts school. And so you're required to take all sorts of stuff, which I am so grateful for. Um, But then when I was thinking about jobs, I really wanted to be a sports broadcaster because I think for majority of my life, I wanted to be on TV of sorts. I just, I don't know. I had this weird thing when I was a kid where I just, I thought I was going to be famous, but I didn't have any talents. So I don't know why I thought I was going to be famous. Like I wasn't a singer. I wasn't an actor. I wasn't a model, but I just thought I would be. And I guess in college, that was like what I thought would be my next step and how I, when I was in college, I wasn't thinking, oh, I want to be famous, but it's interesting to tie it back to how, when I was younger, I just thought I was going to be. So I really wanted to be a sports broadcaster mainly because I was interested in TV and sports were just what I really cared about and I was passionate about them and I thought it would be so much fun. So I applied to all of these sports broadcasting internships when it was the summer before my junior year. And my mom, I remember having lunch with her and she was saying like, you know, you need a real job this summer. You can't just like coach Tri-State Lacrosse because eventually you're going to have to get a job when you graduate college. And you so coach Tri-State? Yeah. Oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah. I What'd you play? I, I well, I played for Metro, and then okay. I played for BBL, which I, I don't know, know if BBL. you know because yeah, it it started like three years before I played, um, and then I coached for them That's up until so last funny. summer. So I, yeah, I played Tri State my whole life from when I was like in middle school to high school, and then I yeah. coached my senior year of high school, my first two summers of college. And it was amazing because for me, again, sports was like everything I cared about. And I had such an impact on these, not kids, young females during very formative years, not only of their lives, but I coached the like black, like we called it the black team, but it was like the A team um, of the rising Junior, so it was like a big recruiting season, oh, and I still so like keep in touch with a few of them. And they're like, "You're the reason I played lacrosse in college." Like I was just kind of like, "Whatever about it," but I kept. In, I'm like, "Dude, you're so fucking good. You need to go play. Like, without a doubt, you should be playing college." Anyway, um, my mom told me that I needed to actually have a, a quote unquote real job. Real job. <laughs> and she was like, "I think you would do really well in sales and trading because it really caters to athletes and." 
from an investment banker's perspective, she obviously knew a lot about like this other division, sales and trading. And so we had a family friend who worked at JP Morgan and I was just like, you know what, if JP Morgan's the best on the street for that division, then I'll apply there. And if I don't get it, I mean, whatever. It wasn't like I had my heart set on it. And I know how ridiculous this sounds because it's a dream job for people. I don't mean to say that I like fell into it at all. I worked so fucking hard in college. Like I was a psycho about school in college and I had a really amazing GPA that I'm very proud of. But I worked really hard. It just wasn't something that I thought I was going – it wasn't like my dream. And so when I got it, I was like, yeah, of course I'll take it. Like this sounds great and the pay is great and whatever. But I don't think I realized how incredible of an opportunity it was until I started there. Um, And, you know, it was different. I was like the only person from a liberal arts school in my internship program. I remember during – orientation everyone was like saying where they went to school and I said Lafayette and someone was like what's that I'm like what do you mean what's what? that it's not like an elementary school it's a fucking college hello <laughs> um I was so bitter but then you know so then I interned there and then at the end of the internship um if you do well you either receive a returning internship offer or if you're a rising senior you receive a job offer so I went back for another summer of interning and then received a job offer. And then I started a month after graduating from Lafayette. So I kind of just like gave up on that sports broadcasting dream because they were so fast, JP Morgan, on like getting back to me, interview process, here's your offer, that I never even heard back from any of the other programs by the time yeah. I had accepted the internship. That makes sense. So it's fair to say that like job-wise – finance was kind of all you knew like real totally absolutely my sister had just kind of started or no she had it my s- sister oh no yes she had sorry my sister had graduated college by this time but she was in advertising and like I, I don't even think I even remember asking her like what is your job like what are you doing so really I feel like finance was the only job I knew that's fair so once you were in finance and you were there for five or six years Five years-ish, yeah. Yeah, around five years. So how did Freckled Foodie start? Like, what were the beginning stages of it? And did you always have a passion for food and wellness? I mean, you're an athlete, so yes, but to to an extreme extent. So it's really interesting. I don't remember ever having a passion about it. Um, I guess we ate, like, semi-healthy growing up, but, like, I always joke that my mom invented meal prep before it was a big thing. We ate every meal in the back of our suburban out of Tupperware on our way to practice. Like we didn't that have is those, so funny. <laughs> like we didn't have family dinners. My dad worked in the city until late anyway. He wouldn't come home until late at night or he traveled a ton. We I'm one of three girls. We all played sports. I was playing like varsity soccer and lacrosse and then club soccer and lacrosse for like very intense teams. Um, my soccer team was like super, super intense. We were number one in the nation. It was like six days a week from a young age. So we literally were in the car 24-7 driving to practice. And I don't remember ever really thinking about food. I love food. I always really cared about it, but I didn't care about the health aspect. I think a lot of that is because I was a thin child that was also playing sports 24-7. So I never really had to worry, quote unquote, from like a weight perspective about what I was eating. And it wasn't until senior year of college where we actually had our own kitchen. Like my three roommates and I had moved into a house. And I remember cooking a few meals because I think by then I was just so sick of the cafeteria and the dining options on our small campus. 
but I still don't think I really cared. It was just like, oh, let's throw this together. And it wasn't until I graduated and started working full time that A, I noticed so many changes in my body because I wasn't, I mean, I was sitting at a desk all day, which is very different than a college student. But also, I never had to worry or even think about working out for my entire life because I just showed up to practice and did what I was told. And in college, you know, like, some of my friends who weren't athletes would like go to the gym every once in a while, but I never in a million years would ever do that because we were doing two a days, three times a week and like practicing every other day with games. And so I think it was hard for me when I transitioned to the real world, realizing, oh, I actually have to like make an effort to work out. Like I have to set time. I have to decide what I want to do. I was just so lost. I was used to just playing a sport. Um, and so I therefore just like didn't really exercise and, you know, I'd say, okay, I'll work out after work on these days, but then we'd have client drinks or like a happy hour and it just kept being like the thing that was pushed back. So between feeling and noticing a lot of changes in my body and also crying over my credit card bill because of the 10,000 sweet green and dig in charges, I decided to start cooking. And that's when this all kind of started. I started to cook. I was dealing with digestive health issues, so I was on all of these elimination diets, and it was just getting really frustrating to walk through like every ingredient with a server or someone who's working at like a sweet green because they're very busy and they don't have time to answer ten thousand questions. Um, and so I started cooking a lot of my meals and meal prepping, and then I would text all my friends these photos, and eventually they kind of told me that it was getting annoying. They didn't really care that much to see all these pictures. Um, and I also wasn't ever really using recipes. I've never been someone who follows. It's interesting. I'm very like type A person. I do follow rules, but I hate following recipes. And I was creating my own recipes and then people were asking for them. And so I honestly, I drunkenly started Freckle Foodie one night after my sister's birthday party. And it, the whole That's goal- amazing. I was like, you know what? I follow all these food accounts. They get to eat all these free meals around New York. Like I love restaurants. I could save money if I was able to eat for free. And that's kind of why I started it. And I still never got that. I don't get to eat for free around New York, I wish. Um, <laughs> misconception. But yeah, total misconception. Um but I started the account for that purpose, really. And I kept it a total secret other than my husband and my younger sister for like three months. Then my best friend, who's like the best Instagram stalker that exists in the world. If you ever have an ex-boyfriend, you need to find dirt on. She's your girl. And she found it one day and texted me. I was like, dude, do you have a food account? And I was so embarrassed, I think, because it was at that time – everyone has a food account or like phone eats first. Like it was very mocking towards these accounts in a sense. And yeah. I still feel some sense of that from certain people, but whatever, I don't really care anymore. So I was very insecure about it. And then I started to tell people, but I never like publicly announced it as much as I do now by any means. Like there was nothing about it on my personal profile. Even on Freckled Foodie, you never saw my face. God forbid. I was never talking to the camera. Like it was strictly recipes, ingredients, and restaurant pictures. And I was working at JP, so I wanted to keep it very like, you know, what's it? Why can't I think of the term? Like Under church. Wraps. No, but like, you know, when um, you're like church and state or whatever, 
I don't know. I wanted to keep them separate because mm-hmm. I told people at work about it, but like I didn't want my clients finding out. Like I was already young for the group and I was covering some big clients and I just thought that they would judge me, I guess. Um, and I didn't want to th- them to think I was distracted in any way. So it was very different than what my account is now, but that's kind of how it all started. That was a very long answer. So actually, that raises a question that I have. Yeah. Did you wait until after you took on Freckled Foodie full time to show your face or were you kind of eventually just like, this is something I'm really passionate about and I want the people who are following me to like know who I am as a person? It's a very good question and I actually would love to know the true answer to that if I like could scroll back far enough. <laughs> I think I had started showing a bit before I quit. Um, but it was nothing like it is now where like, I feel like now my community knows every fucking detail of my life. And it was not like that at all. I think I probably like when I was still at JP Morgan, I was doing these like breakfast sales at the beach, um, at the Jersey shore. And so I guess like, I, I do remember posting a few photos of that. Um, so I guess I showed my face, but it wasn't an active piece of like, content. Like, this is what I'm doing. and Right, right. Yeah, it wasn't any right. of that. And my little sister always joked, like, if you ever talk to your phone in your stories, I'm deleting your account. And I was like, I would never. That is so weird. Now I can't stop <laughs> and I'm so annoying. But it was just different. I, I didn't have – I think it was I didn't know what my voice was and I didn't feel like there was anything for me to share. And I don't like following stories where people are talking to the camera about nothing or like bragging. I just didn't connect with anyone that was doing it. And I wasn't sure how I could do it, if that makes sense. No, and totally. now I that feel like I feel, I feel way more comfortable. Oh my God. It's like night and day. Yeah. And I think that over time, it's just become so much more normalized. Like totally everyone's story, like everyone goes on Instagram to kind of hear about other people. Like I love when people are talking to the camera and and I actually yours are very helpful because you tend to write out what you say also right it's a huge it takes difference. so much work but someone once gave me that feedback and I was like I never listen to stories with head like with volume on ever so who the hell no. do I think I am that people would listen to my stories with volume <laughs> so that's why I started doing yeah. it yeah, no, and totally. I got the answer for you. I just scrolled back on my Instagram. I think I showed my face a total of like five posts over like a year and a half. So it really wow. wasn't active whatsoever. And most of them are just me eating ice cream, honestly. One's like two are in front of a Hoffman's truck, if that puts things in perspective. It's like all me and ice important. cream. Very important. important. Yes. <laughs> so going to like the last couple months that you were at JP Morgan – how did you decide that this was something that you wanted to take on full-time professionally? And like, what was that process? Well, I will break it down because I don't want to like mm-hmm. overload you with a million questions. <laughs> no, that's fine. So the pro- So basically, I was doing this account on the side. I was not making any money off of it, but I was putting in as much time as I possibly could. I was getting up at like 4.30 in the morning to do a few things at Freckled Foodie and then be able to work out before work, go to work, come home at like 5.30 and then work basically all night. So it was insane when I look back on it because it's not like I was doing this like 
check into my desk and I kind of just get to sit around and dilly dally. Like my job was very intense for the most part. Um, and I was doing this. I was also in school to become a health coach, not with the goal of actually health coaching, but just trying to learn more. I do health coach now, but I didn't think I ever would. And so you did that while you were still at JP yeah, Morgan? Yeah. Oh, wow. Online. Okay. It's a year, it was a year course now. IIN offers six months, but I did it um, the year program while I was at JP. So I would listen to all the modules on my way to and from work. Like when I think back, I don't know how the freak I did any of this. It is <laughs> you were actually mind blowing. It's mind blowing <laughs> to me. Um, I was like exercising, cooking every freaking meal I ate, creating all these recipes, posting all this stuff. I was creating these like breakfast sales on the weekends in New York where I would email a menu to my like 30 closest friends. They would send me which ones they wanted and then I'd make them on Sunday and they could come pick them up. It was wild to me. Um, And then when I was at the beach, I was making breakfast for free and just going in my dad's car to the main street of our town. It's like a small town and everyone walks on this one road in the morning. And I was just handing out breakfast for free to get people to like know about my account, which is so wild. Um, but I guess, you know, I did what it, what I had to do. I don't know. Um, Super grassroots. Yeah, it was wild. And so I kept feeling like there was so much more I wanted to do, but obviously I didn't have a free second in my day. I also got engaged at this time, so I was planning a wedding. And, oh, my God. Yeah. And um, – <laughs> It felt like every door I opened, there were so many different doors behind that with all these opportunities, but I didn't have the time to open them and I really wanted to. And it became really obvious to me that I didn't care nearly as much about my product that we were selling, Muni Bonds, as I did about like food and health and wellness. And when we would have downtime, I'd be reading Well and Good, Mind Body Green, Refinery 29, and never, you know, researching the Muni Bond market. So that was my main red flag. Okay, you're not doing what you really are passionate about. But my job paid really well. And it was a huge badge of honor that I don't think I realized how much I how much weight I put into the title of my job. And I loved that ego feeling of telling someone I worked in sales and trading at JP Morgan, as ridiculous as that sounds. And I wasn't really ready to my ego got in the way. I wasn't ready to let go of it, which I mean, it's a reality, financially especially. Um, and then it was kind of – everyone kept asking me, are you so stressed? You're doing so much. How are you doing all this? And I kept saying, I feel like I'm wearing a blindfold and I'm running and I know I'm going to hit a wall. I just don't know where it is. So I'm just going to keep running. And I said that like multiple times. And then the wild thing is I didn't run into a wall. I actually got hit by a car. Um, oh my gosh. in New York while I was crossing the street and I suffered from a bad concussion. And so that really shook me to the core. I was on disability for two months from JP recovering. It was one, like probably the hardest time of my personal life. And it put everything in perspective for me. I felt like it was a huge wake up call. It made me really realize how short life can be. And, you know, I was doing everything right. I wasn't on my phone. I was crossing at a crosswalk. I had the walk sign and there are plenty of times where I'm on my phone, not on a crosswalk, not with a walk sign. Um, so, you know, you can, you can think you can control as much of your life as you want, but really you don't at all. And all we can control is how we react to situations. 
And for me, it was like, all right, this is very evident. So what am I going to take away from the situation? Life is really fucking short. I'm not doing what I love. I know what I want to do, but my ego has gotten in the way. And at this time, I also began my meditation practice and it became just really obvious to me. It was less of like, should I do this? I don't know. I don't think I can to, I have to do this. And, you know, before the accident, I had agreed with my husband that I was going to wait at least until after the wedding to really assess if this would be a viable job to pursue. But obviously things changed. And so I went back to work. And after a week, I sat my boss down and I told him that I was leaving to pursue Freckled Foodie without really any concept of what that looked like or what it meant. And I mean, there's so much privilege that goes into being able to make that decision. But for me, it became a no-brainer because I had the opportunity to do it and I had the opportunity to take a chance. And the corporate world, fortunately, because of certain privileges for me, is not going anywhere. So I could always go back. And I just felt like I had to take this chance. Otherwise, I would constantly regret it. Yeah. So when you talk to your family and your husband, or at the time, fiance, Mm -hmm. were they supportive? Kind of like, what was that conversation like? It was really interesting. So first, the entire aftermath of my accident turned me into a very emotional person. Still, I think it, it like rewired something in me. I can't explain oh, it, but 100%. I was never 100%. emotional. Like I never cried. I would get in fights with friends, family, Joe, never cry. And now I cry all the time. And especially after the accident, I was really emotional talking about the accident. And I definitely had PTSD that I wasn't aware of. Um, and so when I sat down with Joe, he was the first person I talked to also because this is a huge decision to make as a couple. We're about to get married, merge all of our finances. You know, like I was going to have to join his insurance. Like that's a big, he's now responsible with the one with the steady corporate job. So I, we had the conversation of, I said, you know, I really want to do this and I would love to figure out a way for us to make it work. And he is my number one supporter. And he, right off the bat, he's like, of course, we'll do what we have to do. Like, let's figure this out. And so we assessed our financials. We figured out how much money we spend a month, how long we can go without, you know, wasting all of our savings. But if we set, we set aside like a certain X number of our savings, how long can we go without me making any money before we run out of that number? Um, And then we kind of built out a structure of what would I even be offering? What do those prices look like? How many could I do a month? What would then a ideal monthly income be? And what would that look like if we were living off of his income and that new monthly income for me? Because I went from making a lot of fucking money to not making a lot at all. Um, So obviously there were changes that had to be made, but it was a still no-brainer for me. So that conversation with Joe was easy because he – said to me, it's not like you're someone that just would sit on the couch working for yourself and watch TV all day. You, He thinks I'm, ex- I mean, I am, but extremely driven. And he tells me all the time. And he's like, you've proved the fact that you wake up at six in the morning every weekend at the beach to like make food and give it out to people for free is lunatic. And you have the work ethic that I trust you'll put in the work and make this work. So he supported me from the very beginning, which I'm extremely grateful for. I love him so much and I don't know where I would be without his support and encouragement and reassurance. 
And then I sat down with my parents and they knew that it was something I had been contemplating. But again, this whole industry is so new. And for older generations, it's definitely a little confusing. And like, what? You're leaving this incredible, really well-respected job where you have an amazing career path ahead of you to do Instagram. So they were really supportive. They never told me not to, but I still think there was some glimmer of like, what the fuck are you doing? And, you know, my mom and I, interestingly enough, she was the one I had to convince the most because I think there were certain things that she saw in herself. She stopped working at a very well-respected job where she had an amazing career path ahead of her to be a full-time mother. And I think that comes with certain emotions and maybe regrets. And I think she was kind of projecting them a little bit onto my decision. And I said that to her. And, you know, she was like, don't you want to get VP first? Because I was up for promotion. And I'm like, no, I don't care. Like that doesn't mean anything to me. Sure. Would it have been great to get promoted to VP when I was at JP Morgan, if that was going to be my career? Of course. And I asked, you know, I fought for early promotion. I didn't get it, but whatever. Of course I wanted it, but that wasn't something that I was willing to spend another year doing something I didn't love. And that caused a lot of anxiety and stress just for a title. So eventually it took just like a few, I think it just took them some time to wrap their mind around it. They were never like, don't do this. I think it was just more, they were cautious for a good freaking reason of what it would look like. And now they're both incredibly supportive. I think it's actually been really interesting for them to live with me for the past two months during quarantine because they're like, you work like a psychopath. Like you work so many hours a day. It's absurd. And I think I seek a lot of, um, approval from people of older generations. And it feels good to be acknowledged for that, if that makes sense. Like, okay, they don't think my job is a joke and I'm just like talking on Instagram stories throughout the day and then just lounging around and doing nothing. Like I work so much more with this job than I did at JP. And I think it's very evident now that they've spent so much time with me. Yeah. I think that that's definitely a quality that like Everyone I've spoken to and everyone I've witnessed who have been like very successful in their own like entrepreneurial passions, like everyone is type A in the sense mm-hmm. that like they work more now than they ever did. Oh, before. yeah. So many Especially, Virgos like, too. It's crazy. Oh, really? Yeah. So many Virgos just because it's That's a lot funny. of our like characteristics. Yeah. Well, like everyone I've spoken to has just said that they that they knew that they were not going to be the person that just sits around and I no. think that that's such an important like thing to think about and also it's funny that you say that you work more now just coming from like JP Morgan which is right. such a demanding <laughs> job like finance you're working crazy hours yeah but I think it's, like, it's also sorry you can finish your sentence Oh, no, I was just going to say it's just funny how like even though you're working more, it almost feels like you're working less because you're doing something that you really enjoy. Right. So I'm totally working more without a doubt on an hourly basis. However, the work I'm doing brings me joy rather than stress and panic. And that doesn't mean that I don't get anxiety over my job. My anxiety is definitely worse 
being my own boss, but stress is less, if that makes sense. And I think it's really easy for nowadays with so many entrepreneurs, people to say, oh, I want to work for myself. But I also think you have to assess whether you are a type of person that could succeed working for yourself. And that's not a bad thing if you can't. There are different types of people and that doesn't mean that one is better than the other. Some really need the structure and the hierarchy to like set things in place and in motion and like provide tasks and provide feedback and all of that. And that's totally okay. It's just you have to assess that before you make a decision because if I were someone who enjoyed – like I don't even enjoy relaxing really. It's like something I'm working on. Um, If I was someone – I understand. (laughs) Yeah. So like there are different types of people and no one one type is better than the other, but one type will succeed in a certain structure better than the other. And so I think you have to just consider – what type of person you are. And I also think there's a lot of grass is greener on the other side. And so I always like to talk about as my own boss, yeah, it's fun and it's great certain times and I love it. But at the same time, the boss is always watching and there's always more (laughs) to be done. Like you're always thinking I could be doing this or I should be doing this. Or, you know, instead of watching this TV show, I could be getting ahead on XYZ. So it, it doesn't come without stress. And also you have to remember some of the perks of a corporate job that you don't get as an entrepreneur, such as paid time off, maternity leave, benefits, um, like guaranteed salary and paychecks. That's a real nice thing that I miss. Um, (laughs) It's just really interesting. It's It's a total life change and I'm so grateful for it, but it doesn't come without challenges. Like, Do you think that despite the fact that you were ready and you had processed it all and like you had really put a lot of thought into it was there ever a sense of like guilt like when you were going to your boss saying that you were leaving was there ever like guilty that you were leaving your clients or guilty that you were leaving your team I still struggle with it it hasn't gone anywhere um I think that's something that people don't talk about which is very prevalent yeah so I felt really guilty, not only because we were such a close team and I was a very much like glue that kept certain, like I was the person that every day at work, I wanted to talk to everyone, like every single person on my team I had a personal relationship with. I would go around. I was so annoying. People would just wanted me to shut up, but I'm like, what are you doing? How was your weekend? What are you thinking for lunch? What's going on? What do you have going on tonight? Like, where are you going? Um, So nosy. But I felt really extreme guilt about leaving the team and like my relationships there and that I was letting people down. I also felt guilt over the fact that I was leaving such a great job and they're like, what are you doing? Like people understood and they were so happy for me and my team was so supportive and I still talk to them. But I still think some of them, because they were all older, were like, huh? And I was the youngest on the team, but I was kind of like... I was in this program of like the top 10 associates across the sales and trading. And so there was definitely promise that I feel like the company had instilled in me for future success. And I felt like I was just like, all right, bye, peace, see you never. And I felt a lot of guilt over that. But I think the most extreme sense of guilt I felt was that I came back from disability and quit. And, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. I had to take that disability because I wasn't approved or released to be doing the work that 
my job required. I couldn't get through a day without a headache. And my neurologist was like, you cannot go back to work like this. Concussions are very serious. And this was my sixth yeah. one. And I've had six too. Yeah. This is fucking hell. And not, exci- not exciting, but no. Yeah. Um, but I have a lot of guilt over that because I'm such a people pleaser and because I want everyone to like me that I feel there were certain emotions. I mean, I know there were certain emotions that were like, oh, were you really even on disability or were you just like preparing this account for this? Like everyone, no. you know, I no one's like second guessing whether I actually got hit by a car. But I do feel like there was some, I mean, yeah, there were like direct conversations like that with my boss of like, Feeling as if your disability. Not, I think he felt like I had lied to him, which I was very forthcoming about everything with Freckled Foodie beforehand. So I had a lot of guilt over that because I wanted to leave on amazing terms, and I felt like I was kind of robbed of some of that of terms with certain people. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, it definitely does. And you think that you still kind of have some of that? Oh my god, yes, definitely. (laughs) Like it still will keep me up at night sometimes. It's so crazy how that happens. Just like, I mean, I'm the same exact way. I'm such a people pleaser, but it's like at the end of the day, you just have to do what is best for yourself. Yeah. And And when I think about it, I'm like, that's blasphemy that they would feel that way. But, you know, I can't, I don't make their their thoughts. Yeah. So, but I definitely still hold guilt over it without a doubt. Wow. Well, on a more positive note, yeah. <laughs> now that you've been doing this, this is you've been doing this for two years now. Yeah, two years full time. Wow! So you've been also named Forbes Top Five Entrepreneur, changing the New York wellness scene. What was getting that honor like? It's so funny because I was just talking to my friends. Like, at what point do I take this off of my bio? Because now it feels like it was so long ago. Um, but I mean, it was amazing. It was so random someone who follows me and is part of the freckle food community was interning at Forbes and she was responsible for this piece. And so she had known me because she'd followed me. And I remember I was at my friend's beach house and I got an email like, Hey, we're considering you for this piece. Can we talk to you? And I freaked out, had a phone call with them. And at the end I said, okay, so like, when are you going to choose who you're selecting? And like, when would this air if I am selected? And she's like, Oh no, you're selected. It's coming out tomorrow. And I was like, what? Um, It was amazing. It was so incredible. I felt really justified in a way. Um, And I think, honestly, as incredible as that was, I think there are other things that I felt more justified by, but Forbes has an amazing, you know, it means a lot to people, the name. So it's great. I'm really grateful for that. But I, I still have things or goals that I'm like, I will, I know it'll happen. I just... I can't wait for the moment I'll feel even more justified, which is wrong because I'm really trying to enjoy the ride because I do think there's going to be a point where I hit it and I'm like, oh, this isn't fun anymore. I wish I had enjoyed the moments where I was growing because that's continuous satisfaction and encouragement and everyone's so loving. I think you hit a certain point as an influencer where then when your audience grows, you know, obviously some negative voices come into play with that growth. And so I'm trying to enjoy these moments rather than focusing solely on goals that I have, if that makes sense. No, that definitely makes sense. And I mean, I think that even though it was a long time ago, like that's still, like you said, Forbes is such a big name. And like, I feel like when you're working for yourself, there are 
there's not the same like promotion that you right. get or like bonus or mm-hmm. like yearly review and I think you have to like kind of stress those those little things because yeah I mean like my dream I've always wanted to be on Forbes 30 under 30 I don't know how I would ever make it happen because I don't think I'm doing anything that deserves of that but <laughs> I've got one year left so I'm putting it out in the universe um yeah our guest actually the week that we're recording this our guest this week she was on Forbes 30 under 30 and I was just like tell me about her um she and her brother started a company called Fair Harbor and they use single-use plastic water bottles they reuse them and make them into bathing suits and clothing so like someone like that deserves to be on Forbes 30 under 30 I do not (laughs) but I still want it Hey, it's still a goal. We can all have our own goals. Yeah, exactly. Not necessarily right there. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, yeah, who knows? You have you have a couple more years. I've got a year. One year. I got to find someone in Forbes. All right. Well, th- a year's a long time. You, you got time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, kind of to wrap up, one yeah. of my last questions are like, what do you see for the future of Freckled Foodie? So I really want to continue to grow my podcast. It is hands down my favorite project that I have within Freckled Foodie. And I have received incredible feedback and I just have so much fun doing it. And so I really want to continue the growth of that. That's one of my main goals. And I want to continue to grow and foster a community of supportive people. I love, love, love my Freckled Foodie fan fam. Um, I was thinking, I'm like, I I was going to say Freckled Foodie fam. And then in my head, I was also thinking, I hate when people call them fans. Um, so Freckled Foodie fam. And then I would love to be on TV. That's like a goal of mine with some type of cooking situation. I love being on camera. I love being on sets. So, you know, exploring more of that, I think would be really fun for the future. Yeah, I I think that's definitely obtainable. I don't know if you follow Skylar Bouchard, but yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, she does a lot of like the Amazon mm-hmm. uh, Prime and other type of TV situations, which has been a cool thing to watch as someone who yeah. followed her from the beginning. Exactly, but that's really exciting. Thanks. Um, so I have been asking everyone at the end if you have an Instagram that you're currently really enjoying the content that they put out. Do you have an Instagram that you're loving right now? So I found this girl or this woman on TikTok, which is comical that I'm on TikTok, but I can't stop. (laughs) Um, I don't know how to pronounce her name. Meek Zazon, maybe? It's M-I-K-Z-A-Z-O-N. And she's her like – bio I'm trying to think of like how I can describe her so I'm just gonna use her bio it's like hashtag normalize normal bodies and she's just very much like this is it this is what you're getting like why are people so obsessed with having a flat stomach and looking perfect like we look beautiful the way we are and I really love following content like that especially right now I think we can use so much more of it and there's never enough so I'm really liking what she's putting out there I really like that. I just looked her up and I, I really Her TikTok's really, really funny cool. too. Her TikTok's really funny. I'll have to check them out. I, I agree. I'm totally into the especially we're recording during quarantine right now and especially with like 
there's I feel like there's more now than ever. And don't get me wrong. Workouts on Instagram are like what motivate me and I save them yeah. all and do them all. But there is definitely an oversaturation of like everyone since they just have so much time. And I think mm-hmm. it's nice to see that not everyone has a size zero body. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So I've really um, been loving her. That's cool. I'm gonna I just followed her. So thank you for that. Of and listeners, go check her out too. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, most importantly, do you want to plug yourself and your projects? Where can people find you? Of course. Um, I would just say the best way to find me is through Instagram at Freckled Foodie. Everything between my TikTok website, YouTube, all of that is within that platform. And then if you are looking for more podcasts to listen to, my podcast is Freckled Foodie and Friends. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. You are (laughs) so fun to talk to. uh, But fortunately, we have to wrap up. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for Um, having me and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Very much appreciated. Um, Well, this has been Never Work a Day podcast with Kelly Gibney and today's guest, Cameron Rogers. Thank you so much, guys. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. See you next Monday. Oh, 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 oh,